Section 5 of Good Sense. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Good Sense by Paul Henri Thierry, Baron Dolbach. Translator Unknown. Section 5. Parts 53 through 62. 53. This pretended providence is the enemy of man. Do we see, then, that providence so very sensibly manifests herself in the preservation of those admirable works which we attribute to her? If it is she who governs the world, we find her as active in destroying as in forming, in exterminating as in producing. Does she not every moment destroy by thousands the very men to whose preservation and welfare we suppose her continually attentive? Every moment she loses sight of her beloved creature. Sometimes she shakes his dwelling, sometimes she annihilates his harvests, sometimes she inundates his fields, sometimes she desolates them by a burning drought. She arms all nature against man. She arms man himself against his own species, and commonly terminates his existence in anguish. Is this, then, what is called preserving the universe? If we could view without prejudice the equivocal conduct of providence towards the human race and all sensible beings, we should find that far from resembling a tender and careful mother, she resembles rather those unnatural mothers who instantly, forgetting the unfortunates of their licentious love, abandon their infants as soon as they are born, and who, content with having borne them, expose them helpless to the caprice of fortune. The Hottentots in this respect are much wiser than other nations, who treat them as barbarians and refuse to worship God, because they say, if he often does good, he often does evil. Is not this manner of reasoning more just and conformable to experience than that of many men who are determined to see, in their God, nothing but goodness, wisdom, and foresight, and who refuse to see that the innumerable evils of which this world is the theater must come from the same hand which they kiss with delight? 54. THE WORLD IS NOT GOVERNED BY AN INTELLIGENT BEING. COMMON SENSE TEACHES THAT WE CANNOT AND OUGHT NOT TO JUDGE OF A CAUSE, BUT BY ITS EFFECTS. A CAUSE CAN BE REPUTED CONSTANTLY GOOD ONLY WHEN IT CONSTANTLY PRODUCES GOOD. A CAUSE WHICH PRODUCES BOTH GOOD AND EVIL IS SOMETIMES GOOD AND SOMETIMES EVIL. BUT THE LOGIC OF THEOLOGY DESTROYS ALL THIS. According to that, the phenomena of nature, or the effects we behold in this world, prove to us the existence of a cause infinitely good, and this cause is God. Although this world is full of evils, although disorder often reigns in it, although men incessantly repine at their hard fate, we must be convinced that these effects are owing to a beneficent and immutable cause, and many people believe it or feign believe. Everything that passes in the world proves to us in the clearest manner that it is not governed by an intelligent being. 
we can judge of the intelligence of a being only by the conformity of the means which he employs to attain his proposed object. The object of God is the happiness of man. Yet a like necessity governs the fate of all sensible beings who are born only to suffer much, enjoy little, and die. The cup of man is filled with joy and bitterness. Good is everywhere attended with evil. Order gives place to disorder. Generation is followed by destruction. If you say that the designs of God are mysterious and that his ways are impenetrable, I answer that, in this case, it is impossible to judge whether God be intelligent. 55. God cannot be considered immutable. You pretend that God is immutable. What, then, produces a continual instability in this world which you make his empire? Is there a state subject to more frequent and cruel revolutions than that of this unknown monarch? How can we attribute to an immutable God, sufficiently powerful to give solidity to his works, a government in which everything is in continual vicissitude? If I imagine I see a God of uniform character in all the effects favorable to my species, what kind of a God can I see in their continual misfortunes? You tell me it is our sins which compel him to punish. I answer that God, according to yourselves, is then not immutable, since the sins of men force him to change his conduct towards them. Can a being who is sometimes provoked and sometimes appeased be constantly the same? 56. Good and evil are the necessary effects of natural causes. The universe can be only what it is. All sensible beings in it enjoy and suffer, that is, are moved sometimes in an agreeable and sometimes in a disagreeable manner. These effects are necessary. They result necessarily from causes, which act only according to their properties. These effects necessarily please or displease by the consequence of nature. This same nature compels me to avoid, avert, and resist some things, and to seek, desire, and procure others. In a world where everything is necessary, a God who remedies nothing, who leaves things to run in their necessary course, is he anything but destiny or necessity personified? It is a deaf and useless God who can effect no change in general laws to which he is himself subject. Of what importance is the infinite power of a being who will do but very little in my favor? Where is the infinite goodness of a being indifferent to happiness? Of what service is the favor of a being who is able to do an infinite good does not do even a finite one? 57. The consolations of theology and paradise are imaginary. When we ask why so many miserable objects appear under the government of a good God, we are told, by way of consolation, that the present world is only a passage designed to conduct man to a happier one. 
the divines assure us that the earth we inhabit is a state of trial. In short, they shut our mouths by saying that God could communicate to his creatures neither impossibility nor infinite happiness which are reserved for himself alone. Can such answers be satisfactory? First, the existence of another life is guaranteed to us only by the imagination of man, who, by supposing it, have only realized the desire they have of surviving themselves in order to enjoy hereafter a purer and more durable happiness. Secondly, how can we conceive that a God who knows everything and must be fully acquainted with the dispositions of his creatures should want so many experiments in order to be sure of their dispositions? Thirdly, according to the calculations of their chronologists, our earth has existed six or seven thousand years. During that time nations have experienced calamities. History exhibits the human species at all times tormented and ravaged by tyrants, conquerors, and heroes, by wars, inundations, famines, plagues, etc. Are such long trials then likely to inspire us with very great confidence in the secret views of the deity? Do such numerous and constant evils give a very exalted idea of the future state his goodness is preparing for us? Fourthly, if God is so kindly disposed, as he is asserted to be, without giving men infinite happiness, could he not at least have communicated the degree of happiness of which finite beings are susceptible here below? To be happy, must we have an infinite or divine happiness? Fifthly, if God could not make men happier than they are here below, what will become of the hope of a paradise where it is pretended that the elect will forever enjoy ineffable bliss? If God neither could nor would avert evil from the earth, the only residence we can know, what reason have we to presume that he can or will avert evil from another world of which we have no idea? Epicurus observed, Either God would remove evil out of this world and cannot, or he can and will not, or he has neither the power nor will, or, lastly, he has both the power and will. If he has the will and not the power, this shows weakness, which is contrary to the nature of God. If he has the power and not the will, it is malignity and this is no less contrary to his nature. If he is neither able nor willing, he is both impotent and malignant, and consequently cannot be God. If he be both willing and able, which alone is consonant to the nature of God, whence comes evil, or why does he not prevent it? Reflecting minds are still waiting for a reasonable solution of these difficulties, and our divines tell us that they will be removed only in a future life. 58. Another Romantic Reverie We are told of a pretended scale of beings. It is supposed that God has divided his creatures into different classes in which each enjoys the degree of happiness of which it is susceptible. 
according to this romantic arrangement, from the oyster to the celestial angels, all beings enjoy a happiness which is suitable to their nature. Experience explicitly contradicts this sublime reverie. In this world all sensible beings suffer and live in the midst of dangers. Man cannot walk without hurting, tormenting, or killing a multitude of sensible beings which are in his way, while he himself is exposed at every step to a multitude of evils, foreseen or unforeseen, which may lead him to destruction. During the whole course of his life he is exposed to pains. He is not sure a moment of his existence, to which he is so strongly attached, and which he regards as the greatest gift of the divinity. 59. Vain that theology attempts to clear its God from human defects. The world, it will be said, has all the perfection of which it is susceptible. Since it is not God who made it, it must have great qualities and great defects. But we answer that as the world must necessarily have great defects, it would have been more comfortable to the nature of a good God not to have created a world which he could not make completely happy. If God was supremely happy before the creation of the world, and could have continued to be supremely happy without creating the world, why did he not remain at rest? Why must man suffer? Why must man exist? Of what importance is his existence to God? Nothing or something. If man's existence is not useful or necessary to God, why did God make man? If man's existence is necessary to God's glory, he had need of man. He was deficient in something before man existed. We can pardon an unskillful workman for making an imperfect work, because he must work, well or ill, upon penalty of starving. This workman is excusable, but God is not. According to you, he is self-sufficient. If so, why does he make men? He has, you say, everything requisite to make man happy. Why, then, does he not do it? Confess that your God has more malice than goodness, unless you admit that God was necessitated to do what he has done, without being able to do it otherwise. Yet you assure us that God is free. You say also that he is immutable, although it was in time that he began and ceased to exercise his power, like the inconstant beings of this world. O oh, theologians, vain are your efforts to free your God from defects. This perfect God has always some human imperfections. 60. Impossible to believe God is of infinite goodness and power. Is not God master of his favors? Can he not give them? Can he not take them away? It does not belong to his creatures to require reasons for his conduct. He can dispose of the works of his own hands as he pleases. Absolute sovereign of mortals, he distributes happiness or misery according to his good pleasure. 
Such are the solutions given by theologians to console us for the evils which God inflicts upon us. We reply that a God, who is infinitely good, cannot be master of his favors, but would, by his nature, be obliged to bestow them upon his creatures, that a being, truly beneficent, cannot refrain from doing good, that a being, truly generous, does not take back what he is given, and that every man who does so dispenses with gratitude and has no right to complain of finding ungrateful men. How can the odd and capricious conduct which theologians ascribe to God be reconciled with religion which supposes a covenant or mutual engagements between God and men? If God owes nothing to his creatures, they, on their part, can owe nothing to their God. All religion is founded upon the happiness that men think they have a right to expect from the deity, who is supposed to say to them, Love me, adore me, obey me, and I will make you happy. Men, on their part, say to him, Make us happy, be faithful to your promises, and we will love you, we will adore you, and obey your laws. By neglecting the happiness of his creatures, distributing his favors according to his caprice, and retracting his gifts, does not God break the covenant which serves as the basis of all religion? Cicero has justly observed that, if God is not agreeable to man, he cannot be his God. Goodness constitutes deity. This goodness can be manifested to man only by the blessings he enjoys. As soon as he is unhappy, this goodness disappears, and with it the divinity. An infinite goodness can be neither limited, partial, nor exclusive. If God be infinitely good, he owes happiness to all his creatures. The unhappiness of a single being would suffice to annihilate unbounded goodness. Under an infinitely good and powerful God, is it possible to conceive that a single man should suffer? One animal or mite that suffers furnishes invincible arguments against divine providence and its infinite goodness. 61. Impossible to believe God is of infinite goodness and power. According to theology, the afflictions and evils of this life are chastisements which guilty men incur from the hand of God. But why are men guilty? If God is omnipotent, does it cost him more to say, Let everything in the world be in order, let all my subjects be good, innocent, and fortunate, than to say, Let everything exist? Was it more difficult for this God to do his work well than badly? Religion tells us of a hell, that is, a frightful abode, where, notwithstanding his goodness, God reserves infinite torments for the majority of men. Thus, after having rendered mortals very unhappy in this world, religion tells them that God can render them still more unhappy in another. The theologian gets over this by saying that the goodness of God will then give place to his justice. 
but a goodness which gives place to the most terrible cruelty is not an infinite goodness besides can a god who after having been infinitely good becomes infinitely bad be regarded as an immutable being can we discern the shadow of clemency or goodness in a god filled with implacable fury sixty two theology's god a monster of absurdity and injustice divine justice as stated by our divines is undoubtedly a quality very proper to cherish in us the love of the divinity according to the ideas of modern theology it is evident that god has created the majority of men with the sole view of putting them in a fair way to incur eternal punishment would it not have been more conformable to goodness reason and equity to have created only stones or plants and not to have created sensible beings than to have formed men whose conduct in this world might subject them to endless punishment in the other a god perfidious and malicious enough to create a single man and then to abandon him to the danger of being damned cannot be regarded as a perfect being but as an unreasonable unjust and ill-natured very far from composing a perfect god theologians have formed the most imperfect of beings according to theological notions god would resemble a tyrant who, after having put out the eyes of the greater part of his slaves, should shut them up in a dungeon, where, for his amusement, he would, incognito, observe their conduct through a trap-door, in order to punish with rigor all those who, while walking about, should hit against each other. But who would magnificently reward the few whom he had not deprived of sight in avoiding to run against their comrades? such are the ideas which the dogma of gratuitous predestination gives us of the divinity although men are continually repeating that their god is infinitely good yet it is evident that in reality they can believe nothing of the kind how can we love what we do not know how can we love a being whose character is only fit to throw us into inquietude and trouble how can we love a being of whom all that is said tends to render him an object of utter detestation? End of section five. Recording by Roger Moline.